Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and also ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and each week we celebrate and commiserate with bestselling authors, parenting experts, and moms around the world. Happy almost Father's Day, everybody. Who has a good gift idea? I need it. Please uh, shoot me a message. Um, post something on our Facebook Atomic Moms podcast page or on Instagram at Atomic Moms or Twitter. Please, I need your ideas. I'm all out of them. I'm out of them. And if anyone has an idea for my 10-year wedding anniversary present uh, that's coming up this July, please uh, shoot that over to me as well. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm kind of losing my voice right now because I just ate so much popcorn because my girlfriend Elizabeth just snuck me out of the house uh, because they've taken away my car keys and I'm my modified bed rest has been really amped up. I'm not supposed to lift a finger. Anyway, she whisked me away and took me to a morning movie. We saw Wonder Woman and it was so amazing. And the first five minutes of the film, I just couldn't stop thinking about my little three and a half year old Sabrina. And what a great responsibility it is to raise a warrior goddess uh, and how I can best mm, uh, guide her into channeling her power for good because as she has shared with all of you on the podcast herself, she really likes villains. Anyway, so our guest today Janelle Hanchett, she's a writer and blogger who created the website Renegade Mothering in 2011. Over the years, her blog grew to attract hundreds of thousands of readers, and her work has been published in Brain, Child, Mama Load, Upworthy, and various other publications. She holds a BA and MA in English Literature from University of California at Davis in Sacramento State. She lives in Northern California with her four children and husband, and in this episode, we do not use the F word— but, uh, you know, sometimes other strong language is necessary. So don't listen to this one with the kids in the car. The subject matter is not right for it anyway. Um, but do listen. Okay, I'll be right back with Janelle Hanchett, the mastermind behind Renegade Mothering. Janelle, thank you so much for coming on Atomic Moms. Thank you for having me. I want to kick this off with um, your most popular blog post of all time. I actually saw it again a couple days ago on one of the many Facebook mom groups out there. And oh, it's just the best thing ever. So I'm sure you're sick of it. This is sort of like asking uh, a band to, to play like their greatest hit again. And you're probably like, oh, my God, this was so many years ago. But but we need to hear it. It's the yeah. It's the No Bullshit, No Drama Friendship Manifesto. It's this amazing list of all the things that we should agree um, to do or not do with our friends. And I want to read just three of them to give our listeners like a little tidbit um, because they're going to read the whole thing and I'm going to share it everywhere, um, but just so they have a (laughs) sense of your style. So number 16, whoever has the youngest – or worst behaving child at the moment, gets to make decisions. We all understand that children are often foul, insane little creatures, and it needn't even be mentioned that we don't blame you. 
Um, that one is extra mm. close to my heart because I have a three-year-old. <laughs> and then number 17, right. maybe your house is clean. Maybe it isn't. Maybe who gives a rat's ass? And the number 18, when I say something stupid that could be conveyed as insulting or whatever, you're not going to get all overly sensitive and weird, calling mutual friends and psychoanalyzing what exactly my problem is probably going back to childhood. <laughs> Rather, you're going to call me <laughs> out on it. And then I'm going to apologize and we're going to move on like adults because occasionally adults say stupid shit. The end. Right. First of all, God, thank you so much for writing this. This is like the Bill of Rights for me. Like it's just so necessary. And I was talking to mm -hmm. a friend the other day and she was complaining about some girlfriends who seemed really judgy with her. And I didn't even really couldn't totally understand it because I was like, well, why are you friends with them then? And I sent her this list. Right. So how did this manifesto Aww. come to be? How did you manifest the manifesto? <laughs> right. Well, um, actually, I, I, I remember quite clearly um, how it happened. It, um, I, I have two friends that um, live within a mile of me. And we've been friends for quite a few years. One of them I've been friends with for about eight years, oh, nine years, I guess. And the other one about six or seven years. So, and, and we, um, and one of my friends, her name is Christy. She, she came up with this idea a few years ago where she said, let's do a rotating dinner. And we, and we all were friends. We all have a bunch of babies. Like I have four kids. Christy has three. Maya just had her third. So there's a boatload of kids between us. And, um, <laughs> And she said, let's start doing a um, weekly rotating dinner. So every Thursday night, and um, we would we go to one of our houses, all, all the families go to one house, and then it switches, right? So we switch every. And, um, and before that, we had gone on camping trips together and hung out, and we just sort of like, and because of the proximity of the three of us, you know, if somebody is sick you know, we show up and bring food. If somebody is, you know, husband is being a jerk, we like talk about it. Or if we're being jerks, we talk about it. And I started realizing, you know, we, and, and this little group, the three of us, we've been through so much. I mean, we've been through depression. We've been through, you know, death. Um, when one of their brothers was killed in a car accident, you know, my grandmother was, was killed by a mentally ill cousin, my mentally ill cousin. I mean, we have weathered, I mean, pregnancies, sicknesses, births. I mean, and I started realizing that that what carried us through was our willingness to put our humanity and our appreciation for each other above everything, that we just let the bullshit go. And these are people that if I don't text back for a week, nobody cares. If somebody's having a birthday party and nobody RSVP, and we don't RSVP, they just like send, you know, three texts the day before, like what, you know, are you, are you coming? What's wrong with you? And I just realized that what made these friendships so sacred to me was that all the bullshit had been stripped away, all the trite, all the nonsense, all the chatter, you know, you know, where you stand with each other, we're willing to be honest with each other. And we understand that, you know, we're all, we all parent in different ways. We're all married to different people, you know, I mean, Obviously, we're married to different people. It's not a commune. Um, but, right, like all of our husbands are different and, and, and our personalities are all very different. But what brings us together is a shared commitment to each other. 
and we let the shit go. And I was just thinking to myself how lucky I am to have those friends. And I was sort of musing on what makes these friendships so sacred to me um, beyond them just being awesome people is the fact that I don't have to think. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't have to walk in eggshells. I don't have to navigate. I don't have to like, oh, if I don't text back, right. And, you know, if I don't do this or or they're not going to understand. I mean, they understand things come up. They understand Mm -hmm. having kids. They understand kids are assholes sometimes. You know what I mean? And so if I yell at my kids in front of them, like one of my kids is acting badly and I'm not like I'm not in a stellar parenting moment because, you know, (laughs) that happens (laughs) like daily. But, you know, if I snap at my kid or snap at my husband and act a fool, like I know they're not going to, you know, reject me or or talk behind my back and go to see the way Janelle fed her, you know, that, you know, her her two-year-old frozen pizza or whatever. It's just, it's just gone. The bullshit is gone. And I thought, damn, we should all as mothers just sort of agree to be this way with each other. And then I just sat down and I wrote it honestly in 20 minutes. I just sat Mm -hmm. down and wrote it. It just poured out of me. And then I published it. And then like 2 million people came. Oh yeah. (laughs) It was crazy. And they continue to come because it's got a life of its own. Yeah, it did another round. It did another round recently. Yeah. I was super flattered because it was a fun piece. You know, it was just sort of a fun, I was really um, happy it resonated with so many people. And I want to say to our listeners, too, that, like, maybe it's time to do a mom-friend detox. Like, if you are in relationships that stress you out, maybe it's time to take a step back because there's no room for that. If you've got your partner, Mm -hmm. you've got your children or child, or you're pregnant, like, there's all you look we can't really do a family detox so like do a friend detox if need be because there's not room for the drama and i'm telling you that if you clear that out the most amazing women will show up and the longtime listeners know because i've paraded all of my best mom friends onto this podcast and they're such incredible women this pack is out there for you. Like you will find this tribe for you. But you have to follow these rules for yourself and extend them to friends and also just clear out the people that aren't ready for it. So when you talk about wanting off parenting teams, can we uh, <laughs> talk about that for a second? Because, sure. oh man, these we always say that we are Switzerland in the mommy wars. And so we have had guests on talk about attachment parenting. We talk about, you know, formula feeding. We talk about C-sections. We talk about unmedicated births. Like we run the gamut. And um, I think it's really important for me to have a lot of mothers in my life who parent differently from me. And so I love this so much. What do you mean when you say you want off my parenting team? (laughs) Well, (laughs) or someone's parenting team. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I mean, I've been a mom for, I guess, let's see, 15 years. I had my first baby in 2001. um, And then my youngest I had in 2014. So he just turned three. And so, and I just, uh, you know, when I first had a baby, when I was first, I was 22, I was very young. And um, I thought I had a lot figured out. You know, I thought I... Um, I, I, my mother was a little H.A. League educator and a natural, you know, an unmedicated birth advocate. And I kind of had these very, I've been reading a lot of Ina Mae Gaskin mm-hmm. and 
yeah, oh, yeah. Fair, he's sort of rigid. Yeah, these sort of rigid ideas that I remember one time um, I was going off, you know, in that 22-year-old know-it-all way of, of why, you know, why do people use epidurals? Why do people do that? And, you know, why don't they want to experience childbirth? And my husband just stopped me. And he was like, Janelle, does it ever occur to you that people are looking at birth at a different way and don't want to have that experience? And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, why would you ever give up the spiritual nature of all this BS, you know? And he was like, has it ever occurred to you that people just don't want what you want? And like, that's okay. And I was like, Wait, whoa, you know? And um, that was kind of my first indicator that perhaps, you know, that, but I feel like some people just never lost that. Like they never got to the place where they can say, you know, these are my choices. This works for me, my personality, my family, my culture. Um, but you've got to do what works for you and in your life. And, and I think that all of that rigid sort of what I'm, you know, tongue in cheek calling teams, but it often sort of feels that way. Definitely. Um, they really, they, for me, they've been unsustainable and they also, I, I think they're, they're just kind of not, um, I mean, I think they're largely based on things that may or may not be true, but I just noticed that they, they create these teams and these divisions of, you know, I'm, I'm a, this type of mother, I'm a, that type of mother. And I've always found that I, um, I tend to parent in certain ways, but there's always exceptions or I tend to parent in a way because that's what's natural to me, not because it's some sort of agenda, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm not, like I'm not at, um, you know, I co-sleep, I've had unmedicated births. I had two home births. And um, I breastfeed, my, my three-year-old is still breastfeeding, and, and I realize that's weird to a lot of people. But that's what feels natural to me as a parent. Not I'm not adhering to attachment parenting philosophy. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Like that's, yeah, like that's the way my husband and I feel natural in our skin as parents. But I also, when I tried having a job and formula and, and breastfeeding and pumping all the time, I rapidly was like, this is some bullshit and started <laughs> supplementing formula. Oh my God. So many moms are clapping right now in their cars, Janelle. They're so excited to hear you say that and just to acknowledge it. Oh, of course. I mean, right. So it was like, sure, breastfeeding is great. But like, I was not down with the, I'm going to sit in this library four times a day and pump. And then I get, you know, two ounces of milk and I just mm-hmm. like gold and you got to ice, you know, and mm-hmm. clean the thing every day. I, mean, I just couldn't. So I, I, of course I started formula feeding. I mean, I started formula supplementing almost immediately and I didn't feel any guilt about that, you know, and I didn't feel any shame or, and, um, and, and the natural birth thing is, or natural birth, that's not a good terminology. The unmedicated birth is, is kind of because I'm a bit of a control freak. And I, mm-hmm. I don't like the idea of having part of my body numbed or whatever, you know. Yep. But I'm certainly not going to. I mean, when I got mastitis, when I got breast infections, I, I didn't like take echinacea and hope for the best. I went to the doctor <laughs> and got some damn antibiotics. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, so, I, yeah. And I, and I feed my kids. I try to feed them healthy food. I try to feed them you know, balanced diet and low sugar and whatever. But yeah, when we, we're going to go eat a hot dog, we're going to eat cake on their birthdays. Like I'm not, you know, Mm -hmm. so I just can't get all wrapped around the axle about stuff. I just can't. I don't, I don't feel particularly indignant about anything because in my experience, parenting is this ever shifting, um, always changing sort of moment to moment response to each child. And to each 
into each place where you are personally, you know, like me as a mother, my maturity, my life, my job. I would love to ask you about what you just said about each child and sort of adjusting Mm -hmm. to each kid because you have four. Was there a moment where you were like, oh, this isn't working for number two? Oh, absolutely. Before we started recording, I was sharing with you that I my bed rest has been amped up. They took away my car keys. Um, uh, I, I had this positive FFN test, which means that hormonally my body might be preparing for labor like two months early. So, And I've been having this oh, irritated uh, uterus, which means that my stomach gets really hard and incredibly uncomfortable for like hours. Uh, um and I was sharing with you, and I'd like to share with my listeners, that it's so funny because my first birth, I just – I was like walking five miles a day when I was pregnant. Yeah. I was in the best shape totally. of my life. Everyone was complimenting me on how I looked like better at the end of my pregnancy than the beginning. <laughs> and I had my unmedicated right. birth, which listeners listen to my first birth story. It's very funny. Uh, and it was a spiritual experience, but it was also very funny. And it, I uh, came out of that kind of wondering, like, well, my body didn't hurt because I took such good care of it. And now I'm in it, guys. I'm mm-hmm. in it. And I, I get it. I get it. I call uncle to the mama universe. I understand when mothers complain about how much their bodies hurt. And I understand when mamas are saying, like, get this baby out of me. Although I don't really want to because it's right. too early. But I so right. for you, when you were parenting your first child, I imagine and I think I read a little bit in your blog that you, you know, had an idea of how it could would be, and then you end up with this other child that's totally different. Can we talk about that? And how we have to adjust? Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're all different. I mean, every single one is different. And with the first one, you know, it's like I guess I, one of the big things is that I thought my children, (laughs) I thought my kids sort of acted a certain way or didn't act a certain way because of my stellar parenting. Yeah. And, um, (laughs) and which is partly true. I mean, we definitely Mm -hmm. guide our kids, obviously, but, but also there's so much just in innate in them Mm -hmm. that determines the way they navigate the world, the way they move through the world. And, you know, so my, um, and and then as soon as I think I have something figured out, uh, I, I realize I'm wrong. You know, like something gets thrown. I mean, one of my favorites is with my first two kids. Um, I didn't. They didn't use a crib. I had a crib, but but they were virtually never in it. They were just in our bed. And uh, and then so with the third baby, I got smart, right? And I was like, okay, you know, I'm not even going to buy a crib. And we didn't. We didn't buy a crib. So I thought I really was doing a number. You know, I was really showing. I really was figuring my my stuff out and. <laughs> And when Georgia, my third baby, was about a month old, um, she she just wasn't sleeping well, and she was in our bed, but in, and she was just like uncomfortable. And I and I looked at her one day, and the Mac was next to me, my husband. and I said, "Does she look annoyed to you?" <laughs> I was like, she, "Seriously, the way her body moved, she looked like she was like just get out of my face." And it was so clear that. I, um, I went and got one of those, like, uh, like a cot, like a co-sleeper type cot thing and, and kind of put it in my room, but, but away from the bed. And I set her down in it and it was like, she just stretched out and mm. settled to sleep. And it was like her expression, her body was like, oh, thank God you're not next to me anymore. 
And to this day, she doesn't like to sleep with people. She doesn't like to go sleep. And I was like, you know, and so that's a perfect embodiment, right? Like wow. here I am, I had two kids, we a crib. I'm sure that I've got all, and then I have this baby who really prefers not to be near people when she sleeps. And I just, to me, that's the perfect example of the way, you know, kids, uh, kids are just who they are. Or, you know, my first child was very sort of, she's, she's got a very reasonable, measured personality. She's very sophisticated I mean, she's 15 now. And, you know, and she's just very kind of grounded. And, and my son is, um, he has a very imaginative brain and he has this very sort of creative, uh, he's always lost in his dreamland. And, mm-hmm. and then, you know, so my first kid kind of never did, she was always really well behaved and stuff. And then I have this, and my next kid was sort of the, the, the one who's always off task and lost in dreamland and not paying attention in school. And I'm like, you know, you just realize that we have, you know, we teach our kids manners, we teach them to be kind, we teach them to, to, to be compassionate and, and be good citizens of the world, but they bring so much inside of them, you know, that, that you start to realize that to, to effectively parent, you have to parent each child as they are and who they are, you know, and, and um, we don't get to just like mold them like clay into whatever we want, right? So that's really what I've learned is that I can have all the ideas I want, but uh, the kid is the kid and I have to respond to the child. You know what I mean? Yes. These are the themes that come up again and again on the show. And I guess it's because I book all my guests myself and it's just, I get chills hearing you say it because it's the truth, but it's so fun to hear a mom say it in a new way. And uh, thank you for sharing that. And listeners, please, when you go to renegademothering.com, I love that I suddenly was from the Midwest there, like .com. Uh, check, yeah. <laughs> check, check out the little bios that Janelle has written for each of her children, like these little descriptions. It makes me want to like assign Atomic Mom's homework that like we should each write little descriptions of our children as they are right now because it Aww. is the sweetest uh, most honest, like funniest. I mean, as is all of your writing, but I really oh, love how you see your children and honor oh. their your their uniqueness. One of the many reasons I asked you to be on the show is in your writing, you speak very honestly about um, about your sobriety and. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize. Uh, I'm gonna. It's like suddenly the podcast studio is getting very hot in here. <laughs> I'm like, uh oh, <laughs> truth, truth telling's coming out. <clears throat> yeah. So, and then my throat starts closing up. So I'm gonna keep like <laughs> clearing my throat. It's like literally my throat being like, "Do not yeah. talk about this." Well, so last week was when I f- finally realized that alcoholism can kill you prematurely. Uh, in a way that I had never thought of before. You know, it's like you th- I would think of drunk driving. I've lost friends to, to that. Um, or, it, you know, alcoholism can turn you into, like, the really, really mean grandparent. Um, right. Or you end up with some, like, disease later in life that's attributed to alcoholism. 
But until oh. last week, I didn't realize that it uh, it can kill you in the prime of your life and that oh. the love of one's children isn't enough sometimes to no. uh, battle this disease. And, and that right. has like... It's it's weird to be on bed rest and b- dealing with this, and I'm trying to be private about <clears throat> the experience. Uh, but it's your writing about sobriety really was the thing that I needed to read at this moment. So I'm wondering if you can uh, share for our listeners like a little bit about your experience and what you say about this disease. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm I'm very sorry for your loss. Thank um, you. Having not much detail, I I know that pain. I watch um, I've watched a lot of people die from this disease um, in my family and and in my community. Um, yeah, I um, I have been sober eight years. So I got sober March fifth of two thousand nine. Was um, so March fourth was my last drink. Um, and I was actually separated from my first two children, um, for two years from 2007 to 2009. And, um, I did not set out to be an alcoholic. Um, I was a good student. I came from a loving family. I mean, alcoholism runs in my family. My dad is a recovering alcoholic. My aunt and uncle, um, my uncle actually died of this disease. And, um, and, and you, so you know, and, I, and I, I grew up with a really strong moral compass and a very, you know, strong sense of self. And um, I just started drinking in high school along with everyone else. And I didn't realize at the time that I was having a fundamentally different experience with alcohol mm-hmm. than they were. Um, I was always overzealous, right? But I thought I was a partier. I thought I was like a cool kid, you know, or whatever. I was not a cool kid. But I just, <laughs> I thought I was just kind of, you know, I, I didn't. I was sort of keeping up with everyone else. I'm not blaming other people. I'm just saying that, you know, I was drinking the way many of my friends were drinking. And, um, and I went to college. I got a straight A's. I was an honor student. I went to UC Davis. I was an honor student at Davis. I did a year abroad in Spain and, um, and, and, and slowly, but surely alcohol and then drugs became something that I was pursuing more than I wanted or that I thought was perhaps I I knew I was like, well, you know, you seem like you're a little more interested in this than other people, but I also was able to stop or moderate, you know, if I had a final the next day or something, you know, I would just not drink or, you know, whatever. And, and I graduated from Davis and, um, but at some point through that process, alcohol became something I relied on for a sense of internal sort of peace and relief. And, um, and by the time I had, you know, but I was able to stay sober through my pregnancies. And, and so I was always kind of able to manage it. But the, the thing is, is that alcoholism is a progressive disease and it's actually rewiring our brains and the brain's pleasure system, right? It's a disease of, of the mind and the body. And so my mind was essentially getting rewired and I didn't know it. And, um, and so I was in the grip of a progressive disease that I was unaware of, um, and I found myself quite rapidly unable to quit drinking by the time I was about 23. And uh, I would try to quit and I, um, I'd wake up in the morning with a hangover and go, okay, I'm not going to drink today. And, you know, I'd be adamant. I just got to get through the day. And 
I'd get to work, I'd take some Advil, I'd drink some water, and about 3 p.m., you know, something would kind of flip in my mind where all of a sudden i go, well, you know, maybe it's not that you don't drink at all. Maybe it's that you just, you know, have a glass of wine with dinner. And I would have a glass of wine with dinner. And um, the next thing I knew, I'd be drinking the same amount. And I, I did this experiment for a few years and um, of trying to quit and failing. And I then started searching for what's wrong with me, you know? So I started going to therapy. I left my husband and we came back and I had a second baby and I thought all these things were going to help me clean up my act. And um, um, eventually the disease progressed that I was addicted to drugs and alcohol. And my mother showed up one day and, and took, took the kids and I knew they needed to go. And I let them go. And the next two years I was, um, lost my job. I was homeless part of the time and, um, trying desperately to get sober and unable to do so. And, uh, I, um, eventually went to rehab three or four times and (laughs) did some time in a mental institution. And, (laughs) uh, I really hit the bottom of, um, where alcoholism can, can take you. And, I ended up getting sober um, for free with a group of alcoholics that's open to everyone. Um, and it wasn't until I understood that I was in the grip of a deadly disease that uh, I could never drink safely in any form. And I had an allergy. I like to call it an allergy to alcohol where you put alcohol in my body and I crave more. And my mind will never bring up with sufficient force, you know, the ability to quit drinking once you're addicted. Like, that was the thing that always baffled me was no matter how hard I wanted to not drink that day, I would seem to find myself drinking and I couldn't figure it out until somebody explained to me that the disease lives in the mind, right? So my mind is lying to me. And that was one of the pieces that I had to understand because I knew I loved my children, you know, and that makes me emotional, right? Like I knew I loved my children. I knew this wasn't the person I wanted to be. And yet I couldn't change. I couldn't stay sober. And yeah, it, alcoholism does not care how much you love your kids. And that's one of the reasons I started writing about alcoholism. I didn't write about it for a couple of years when I started the blog, because frankly, I didn't want accolades for taking on responsibilities that were always mine. I was writing about motherhood. Um, I was writing about my experience in motherhood. I didn't want people to be like, oh, look at how great you are. You're an alcoholic and now you're better. Woo woo. But then it became like, I thought maybe I could help people. Mm-hmm with my story. Um, and I thought I gotta, I gotta make those years worth living somehow. And if I can be of service to other alcoholic women or the families of alcoholics, I want to do that. And so I felt, um, a little like a, a, I was hiding a little, and then also that I was missing perhaps an opportunity to be helpful to other people suffering from the disease. So I started writing about it. It's okay to share. There's a a little part of your blog post that I'd like to read, if that's okay with you. You write, don't ever put me on some pedestal. Don't ever tell me, great job, Janelle. Look at the way you turned your life around. Don't ever set me above the homeless crack addict on the street thinking I'm better because I survived my disease. There's no reason I'm here and she's there, and there's no difference between us. I don't know why I got to live. I don't know why I didn't die alone in some bathroom leaving two blonde-headed children to wonder— and miss their mom, while the world packs up its trash in the form of one more useless addict, one more drunk, one more loser who, quote, chose to throw her life away. I take a breath, and I hold my kids, and weep for the one still dying. 
So, Janelle, I'm wondering, um, uh, because of this experience, well, because of the news I got last week um, about someone who I love dearly, I'm wondering, um, what would you say or what comfort can you offer children who have lost their parents to alcoholism? Oh, <laughs> wow. Or, you know, um, there's a lot of adult listeners um, yeah. who whose parents um, couldn't show up in the way that they needed right. them to because of this disease. Like, what comfort can you give them? That's a that's a big task. I just called you for a fun phone call, and I'm like, yeah. uh, please solve all the world's problems for us. No, not at all. And, you know, it actually... That is actually one of the reasons I did start to write was because about this. I mean, because um, because it is so hard to understand why someone that you love or that is supposed to love you or that does love you, how they could possibly treat you that way. Um, and I think that I would probably say that that you don't, you don't ever have to doubt that they love you, right? Like that's, that's not what this is. It mm-hmm. isn't a moral choice. It isn't a willpower situation. And, you know, I think it's a similar, I think we could think of it similarly to the way we might think of a schizophrenic person who commits a, a brutal crime, right? Like mm-hmm. we, we possibly could separate the symptoms from who they are. And I think that that's really hard with alcoholics and drug addicts because we have such horrible symptoms, right? I mean, we just, we're such self-centered assholes and, you know, that our behavior is just mm-hmm. excruciatingly um, childish and narcissistic and, and ego or egomaniacs. And the pursuit of this compulsion, right, to the substance turns us into these, these monsters often um, when the disease has progressed. But some of us just don't survive it. And, you know, I think that when when I have friends and people who have loved ones die of this disease, I try to remind them that, like, you know, they did they didn't survive their disease, and but but it isn't that they necessarily took their own lives, that they took their own lives, or that they and if they they could have changed, they would have. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I and I meant that. I don't know why some of us get well and some of us don't. And I really don't feel much separation between like your friend who just passed and, and me. And I, I, uh, it's, it's so hard because I think a lot of times people think that if we talk about alcoholism as a disease or addiction as a disease, that it removes responsibility from the addict or the alcoholic. And in my experience, it was exactly the opposite because, you know, for example, if somebody tells you that you have cancer, are you going to say, well, you know, I didn't do anything to make this cancer, so I'm not going to get the chemo, right? Like, that doesn't make, make a whole lot of sense. For me, I understood, okay, well, I have a disease. I can never take alcohol in any form, and um, I need help. <laughs> I need continued, sustained help to stay sober. And my mind is often going to try to take me back to the drinking, which it has definitely done the past eight years, has attempted, right? So for me, understanding the nature of my disease allowed me to get well. And I, but I don't know why some of us get to see that and mm-hmm. some of us don't. And I, it's absolutely heartbreaking. But I think that 
trying to get to a place of understanding of the nature of alcoholism and that it does live in the mind and it sort of hijacks the brain and, and takes over the person that you loved and you knew and turns them into somebody else. If you met me 10 years ago, you would not even come close to me. Mm-hmm. I, I, am, I, I'm, I am unrecognizable from who I was. And that's a fact. But that's, I'm sure that's a fact. It's also fascinating to me. Um, you know, David Sedaris just released his uh, – has a new book out, and it's his journal entries, and it's also a lot about addiction. And I heard an interview with him where he talked about how he was afraid to stop drinking because he was always drinking when he was writing. And I think that's probably a crutch that a lot of creatives use and this fear that yeah. if you stop drinking, you won't have the magic anymore. And The funny thing with Atomic Moms has been I've had so many guests, um, whether we spoke about it or not, that have been in recovery. And that's where, God, it's like you guys who have been through it and have come out the other side. um, And obviously there's always, you know, it's day by day. But whatever transformation happens there for you all – like you guys are the truth tellers. Like the best people Aww. I know have um, have come through the other side of it. Um, and you've got this writing series. Um, this great. You've got a couple, a few different workshops that you offer throughout the year. Yeah. And I want to share this one little thing that you write because you say you already know how to write. You write all the time. The problem is not that you don't know how to write. The problem is that you're too freaked out to write the shit you know you're meant to be writing. And (laughs) I love that so much. And I feel like if you hadn't gone through all of the stuff that you've gone through in your life, like there's no way you would have the courage to write the stuff that freaks you out. 100%. 100%. Because I had nothing left to prove, right? Yeah. Like I had, I had already gone down. So it's like, I went, because people write me all the time. How do you, how do you have the courage to say what you say about motherhood? You know, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you say what we're all thinking, but don't have, you know, don't have the, the, the ovaries to say. And I'm like, <laughs> well, the, I didn't have anything left to prove, right? Like, what's the internet going to say to me? You're a bad mother. It's like, oh, really? I had no idea. Thanks a lot. You know, there was nothing like, you know, I, I was like the trash alcoholic mom who didn't even have her kids with her for two years. So there's nothing like I have already faced all the darkness mm-hmm. that could be in me. And I've and I've and I've risen anyway. So it, 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 it and that isn't like an ego thing. It's just it's just true. Like, I'm still here. You know, like I, I've looked at these things and the Internet isn't going to bring up for me anything that I haven't already faced in myself because that's how I stay alive. Right. That's how I stay sober. I have to be really honest with myself and others. And so I just, the gig was up, right? Like I had nothing left to prove. I had nothing left to uphold. It was like, okay, you know, what are you going to say to me that I haven't already looked at in myself? And, and it really did give me the courage to write. Yeah, for sure. If there are moms out there who want to learn how to access their truth and put it on paper and get comfortable with the uncomfortable, um, what should we do? I teach a couple, I teach three writing workshops, but the one, I teach one called Write Anyway, which is about um, largely centered around kind of breaking through the crap that 
that there's the mental chatter that keeps us from writing um writing the stuff we want to write in the voice in the way that we want to write it you know and there's a link on my website called write with me and all the workshops are on there and yeah i, I love it it's really really fun i love teaching writing i have a master's in in writing as well in english so i feel um i don't feel like i'm blowing smoke up anyone's you know what <laughs> <laughs> I, I write personally i write creatively and i um I'm actually working on a book that's going to be out April 2018. And so, so got, exciting. But, Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. The whole writing thing has just been sort of miraculous. I never planned on making money from my blog. I never planned on it. just was a hobby. It was kind of came from my heart and it was just for fun. And then over the years it's grown and then an agent found me through it. And, you know, and then I wrote a book proposal and it sold. It's just a total dream. Totally insane. <laughs> and I hear this so, weekend you're going to uh, take some time out from the family and go write. Is that correct? Because I love this yeah, so that's, much. That's it, the only way I can do it. You know, I've got four kids. My husband's an iron worker two hours away in San Francisco. And um, I just, I, I can't, I can't do it. So I pack up my stuff and I go lock myself in a hotel room and I write for 20, 30 hours. Um, and then I come home. And, you get and it it's done. not ideal, and I'm sure some people would tell me I'm selfish or this and that. Oh, come on. They're not listening. Hey, they are not listening to Atomic Moms. <laughs> they can okay. stop listening but to I, Atomic I, Moms. I get, but I just, I, I need I need sustained privacy and quiet. I need to be able to really get in the book. And I've got four kids. There's always somebody who of needs course. something. They I, just always need something. I love what you wrote about the BBC, Dad, um, because I actually had talked about it on this podcast before I read your blog post about it. And I was like, yes! We're so on the same page about this. Like, no, get the kid yeah. out of my office. Like, if I'm if right. I, I'm doing a call yeah. with BBC, like, you better believe if Sabrina came in here, like, I and I've said this on the podcast before, I would have been yeah. a lot less gentle. Kids, like, call, or my kids are there, or I'm facing a deadline. I'll walk out in the living room, and I hook them all up to TV, and I go, if you bother me, <laughs> I will ruin you. And like that's my parenting method. Like I just am like I it's over, children. Like don't even unless yes. somebody is like bleeding. There you I go. I don't even want to know you're here. And and kids are fine with that. Like I yes. don't know when we ever got it in our heads that we have to be like everything is about the child. Like I'm sorry, I didn't turn into nothing the day my kids were born. Like I didn't dissolve as a human being. I'm a I'm a person. I like my friends. I like adult things. I like my intellect. I like to think. You know. I mean. I love my kids. I'm highly devoted to them, but I also have a life to live and I want them to see their mother living her life, you know? So yeah, heck yes, I leave to go right because it's the only way I can do it and it means something to me. And I want them to see their mother pursuing something that means something to her, you know? They're cool because they think it's rad. Well, Janelle, I'm very excited to share uh, your book when it goes on pre-sale this fall. And in the meantime, everyone go to renegademothering.com uh, you will end up going down the most, oh man, it's the best rabbit hole you could possibly go down this week. Thank and you. Um, also check out Janelle on social media. What are your handles again? Um, well, it's Renegade Mothering on Facebook and uh, Renegade Model One on Twitter. And then I'm Janelle Hanchett on uh, regular Facebook. That's my personal profile, but sort of a public page. That's where I do more of my sort of political writing and rant. So. Okay. Enter at your own risk there. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, thank you so much and for coming Instagram, on. Instagram, Renegade Mother on Instagram. I love Instagram. My yeah, favorite. 
Me too, except I don't like posting as much. I really like getting to comment back to commenters, to listeners. Like, I love the back right. and forth with the listeners. It's the actually posting of the photos, especially right now on bed rest. And I'm like, Ugh, no one wants to see uh, this yeah. face. <laughs> yeah, you got to go way easy on yourself for a while. Um, well, thank you so much for carving out this time for us, especially when you're on book deadline. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It was a nice break. It was really nice talking to you. Until next week, listeners, um, and again, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, itunes.com backslash Atomic Moms. Please leave a review. Uh, it helps with our ranking, which helps new moms find us. Also, you can get us on social media at Atomic Moms, our Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Until next week, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness, rock on, Atomic Moms. Atomic Moms.